So this is our stream on the neuroscience behind video games. And as part of the Gamepad Online, we're having these discussions around various topics in the video games industry, as we do our part to in promote inclusion and diversity in the games industry and just like demystify parts of the culture. Uh, so my name is Nigel and I'm the co-founder of the manga brand Mayamada and organizer of the Gamepad online event. I am Tazzy. I'm a streamer and co-host. Uh, so we're going to be talking to Michael Smith, who is a neuroscience and gaming researcher and also the author of the book Game Boy, a story of video game addiction. Michael, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Nigel. Good to be back. Yeah, so Michael was with us on our video games and well-being panel uh, in September. So we had a good chat about different aspects of video games and and well-being uh mental health um being a big part of that and because of michael's background and experience there was just a lot a uh, lot to say in that part so we thought let's bring him back and, and and dig in um a bit more into all of that so yeah we're gonna fire some questions basically that's what this is going to be like a, a an hour long question and answer um session with michael so we're gonna mine his brain for information about how our brains work when we play video games uh, so we're gonna put michael's social media um up in the chat um so you guys can follow him see more of his work we're gonna have uh or we'll put it in the video description if you're watching this on youtube uh, you can send us your feedback and questions in the chat uh, you can also send us questions or any feedback in our Discord community or uh, old-fashioned email, which to be fair, I still use most of the time, uh, feedback at myamada.com. And we're also on social media. So we've got, if I've done this overlay correctly, we've got like our social media running across the bottom there. So you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are also myamadatees on Instagram. So yeah, we're just going to get straight into this discussion. So as I mentioned, this is something that it has followed on from our previous video games and well-being panel discussion, which you can check out on YouTube. And we wanted to cover uh, different areas and delve deeper into the neuroscience aspect because that just seemed like an interesting area to, uh, to gain a better understanding of what happens when um, we play video games, what happens to our brain. So as I mentioned, Michael has uh, a book about his personal journey um, through video game addiction. Uh, I encourage everyone, if you haven't already, to check out that panel where he just outlines uh, a lot of his, his story. So we won't go into that for today, but we will start by talking about video game uh, addiction. So my first question is uh, for you, Michael, is sort of where you are now, just out of interest, what's your relationship with gaming today like do you still play games or is it just purely on the research side of things oh yeah so i um after 10 years of abstinence because i stopped playing video games when i was 19 i went cold turkey uh, i had a relapse once when i was like 2021 20, uh, but i hadn't played ever since um and then i started writing my second book also on on video games but then more the neuroscience uh, about video games and then i Thought like yeah well it's been so long I, I better check out what the state-of-the-art gaming industry is up to so that i can still see if like my message is very uh, relevant and actual and um so I've, I've played a few of the newest games like the the fortnite and the apex legend and, and league of legends and though league of legends is not very new but like mm. some of the most well-played games of the moment 
as sort of in a research kind of fashion. And yeah, that was a pretty intense experience because I, after 10 years of abstinence, I still noticed all the circuits like getting online and getting very eager, very overly eager to uh, like, oh yeah, I'm doing research. I'm doing research. I'm, yeah, so, yeah, so that was, <laughs> that was a, that's was an interesting experience. Like it. It's, it's, it's for research. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to better humanity here. Yeah. yeah. You've uh, become a meme. <laughs> like, live in the meme. It's uh, for research. Yeah. <laughs> And you could actually say that. Um, yeah. Actually, so just um, since you took such a long break, what was your thoughts on just gaming in general, not even necessarily related to addiction, but just video games having taken a complete like break and coming back to it? Um, you mean from from a personal? Because I yeah, mean, just uh, a personal experience. Well, I, I guess. Like, was it, it is became, it better for you or is it? Yeah, yeah. It's far more social now because, of course, when I, I mean, I started off when I was five and then until I was 11, it was fine video games but because it was social. And then uh, with the transition to secondary school, it became kind of a, yeah, it turned from playing for fun to playing to take like stress and frustration away. And it became also less social uh, and so sort of more an isolating activity. And now that I turned to it again, more for research, also try to play socially. So with friends uh, um, and that, is yeah i don't really play regularly like it's like a once um yeah a few times a month maybe and then a few months not and then uh yeah okay so it's not it's not a thing in my life right now gaming uh yeah. also still a bit slippery if i would do it but i do notice it it's, it's far nicer to do it in a social context yeah. yeah no i totally get that um so in terms of your research how does uh addiction and specifically video game addiction uh impact the research you do today Ooh, well, um, I'm not sure. Do you want to know like about the how games can cause addiction or do you mean like how? Because that's basically the big thing that mm. we are only just recently are coming to terms with the fact that video games have this addictive potential, which is a bit crazy. If you, if you go, I mean, 10 years ago, that would have been a very uh, marginal and more con controversial position. And now it's more yeah accepted. But it's very new. It's a very new thing that we don't have to ingest drugs. We don't have to smoke something. We don't have to inject something, which was how we traditionally kind of conceptualized addictions as taking some substance. But yeah, you can also get addicted from just getting a certain stream of information onto your retina. And that's, yeah, that's a pretty new uh, thing. So I guess uh, there are so many question marks we have. We don't really know what all the long-term and short-term effects are who gets addicted who doesn't who uh, when people are more prone to become addicted uh, if there are certain games that are more have more addictive potential how you could rate the addictive potential of a game because mm -hmm. of course they're not all the same uh, like super mario is definitely different from fortnite in addictive potential so there's a huge amount of questions but there's also hundreds of labs around the world now all trying to tackle those those uh, questions so what do you do day to day like what what yeah what is the day to day of a neuroscience researcher well uh currently i'm i'm, I'm mostly writing on my second book and and doing um some other work but as a as a researcher it's it's uh you read a lot of papers every day like you read what other researchers around the world have done yeah you try to come up with your own questions and methods for how to solve like how to get new insight um so the, the research i've done so far is, is systematic reviewing so i haven't done like uh i haven't worked with participants yet uh so I've, I've gathered all the data 
on um, brain imaging in in uh, resting state gamers. Uh, so we we it's, I, I look at all the research that has been done that invites um, gamers and non-gamers into sitting still in a brain scanner, basically, and just doing nothing. And then they scan their brain and they look at the differences between the resting state of the brain between a gamer and a non-gamer. And they have like some 50 to 60 of these studies now uh, from the last 15 decades. And I, I've kind of summarized all the results uh, from those from those studies. And yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like uh, you find a lot of differences uh, between how the brain in resting state functions uh, between gamers and non-gamers. And um, Tazi, were you going to say something? You had that, like... <laughs> no, I'm just, oh, like, <laughs> taking it all in. Like, I'm very intrigued by the um, the the resting state uh, brain. I recently read a book called Frazzled by Ruby... What the last name? <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, she talks about mind... It's about mind... The book's about mindfulness. Mm. Um, and especially with now so much information we're taking in constantly... Um, and how if you're someone that does get frazzled a lot can like uh, you like change your resting state yeah. by practicing mindfulness and meditation and all that fun stuff so it's just very intriguing yeah okay i yeah. thought this was yeah, i'm about to drop some uh some some like deep question on there i need to adjust <laughs> my, my tazzy look uh detector um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so we got like a picture of uh the work that you do uh, another kind of foundational thing I wanted to kind of get out is what does it mean to be addicted to video games? Like, because we, we hear that it tends to be in the media sort of video game addiction and the fear around that. What does it actually mean? Yeah. Like, if I, if I'm someone who plays uh, a few hours a day, am I addicted? What, where's yeah. the line? Yeah. So it's not so much, um, there's, there's several lines. I mean, the, the official one, uh, from the WHO, the World Health Organization, is not so much that it matters how many hours a day you play, but mostly <laughs> whether your gaming uh, is keeping you from doing other relevant things in life. And it's escalating. And if you try to stop it, you, you just really, it doesn't work. Like you can't really get a, get your gaming behavior under control. And <laughs> if those three things are present, in their estimate for a year, then you can, you would classify someone as a video game addict. But, but yeah, that's, so that's sort of clinically, uh, how they, um, define someone with a video game addiction. There's other ways, ways to go about it too. I mean, what, what I found personally very relevant is, is the nature of your engagement with video games. So for example, you could play for fun, uh, and just really enjoy a game. Mm. And there's probably not that much harm, but when you're addicted, uh, you're, your engagement changes from playing for fun to ch playing for to take away pain. And if you play a lot of video games, you're addicted and you like it. Less, it it's also it's it kind of is in uh, it's convergent with the definition of the WHO, because if you if you um, kind of neglect many life domains uh, to play video games, then, of course, you will be frustrated in some ways. You'll have less social contacts. Maybe you're your performance on work or school is, is going down or on sports. And, and so you will always have frustration if you play a, a huge amount of video games. Uh, but these frustrations, you can, that's the irony of video game addiction. You can really subdue or like sort of, uh, tranquilize or, uh, yeah, these kind of frustrations with playing further, uh, playing more video games. 
And that is sort of another way of looking at it, that if you don't play for fun, but you play to sort of self-medicate, that could also be, I, I would say personally, that's for me a really big indication if I, if I work with kids who seek help and that's something I want to find out. Like, hey, are you, because if you're just playing for fun, you're playing five hours a day. It, it It's a bit much. You should definitely watch out, but it doesn't necessarily have to be an addiction. Like some, yeah, some people can, some people can do that. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's like the dependency on it, right? That's kind of yeah. What- yeah, so that's that's more in the in the in the official, yeah, that you it becomes the compulsion that you cannot control, yeah. And and the neuroscience behind that is that's it's wildly interesting because it yeah, it it's basically the same. It, it you really uses the same mechanisms that you would see in traditional addictions yeah, concerning alcohol and nicotine and other illicit drugs. Uh it's it's the um, yeah, the basic premise is that these behaviors hijack your reward system. They really give you a flush of the dopamine, which is sort of the currency of the reward system. A lot of dopamine means like, wow, it signals your brain like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Give me more of this. And and video games are really well uh, capable of, of opening sort of the floodgates of, of dopamine in your reward system, just like any other drug. And uh, yeah, that so your brain just translates the behavior of gaming as something highly rewarding and highly significant. And yeah, and that creates the compulsion that you were talking about, Tazi. And like, I think, was it two years ago, the WHO declared yeah. gaming disorders a behavioral addiction. And so for, for you as a researcher, what was your impression of that decision? Because, uh, and this is part of the reason why we did the, the initial panel and why I wanted to talk to you, uh, talk to you now is I, I get a lot of, um, well, not just me, but I, I, like, I see a lot of sort of pushback to things like that. So you tend to get things where from, let, let's say, like sort of typical media, you might get a news report on a BBC about gaming addiction. And for people who maybe don't engage with games as much, but maybe see a like their son or their daughter or uh, a younger relative just playing games and they just they kind of lump that in with addiction. So when stories come out about, you know, so-and-so has spent, this many hours in gaming and this is how it's impacted their life they go oh video games you play video games and you'll become addicted which isn't necessarily the case it's not like no, one no, to no. one but then on the flip side like for people who do play games there's almost like a out of there's no there's nothing wrong with video games and it's it's all fine which also isn't necessarily the case so when i saw the who kind of declare uh sort of gaming as a sort of behavior, potential behavioral um addiction there was a lot of pushback. Um, but what did you think as someone who researches this and the reaction you saw to that decision? Yeah, no, it, it, it was great. I mean, it's uh, it also it was based on like a huge amount of, of research studies and, and, and sort of uh, it was quite a big consensus because they don't take these kind of decisions lightly. Um, there was pushback and the pushback in a way had some really valid points that it's, for example, really hard to come up with a um, concrete definition of someone who's a gaming addict. Because what I've just said, like the definition of gaming addiction is is much borrowed from traditional addictions and gambling addiction. So in that sense, it's not a very novel, it's just sort of taking gambling addiction and, and replacing gambling for gaming. Uh, and some researchers uh, who were opposed to the decision didn't really like that. And were afraid that, yeah, okay, you're kind of making an addiction this way and you put the whole thing on a confirmatory trajectory that yeah if you, if you create gaming addiction you start looking for it, you'll find it 
but yeah, I, I didn't really quite agree. That's one on personal experience that I, as a 12 year old, became highly addicted to video games and that lasted until I was 19. And yeah, I've, I've spoken since then to many addicts from all different streets. And uh, yeah, there was just an overwhelming recognition in their stories, my story uh, and the behavioral side. And um, I think there is, it's really good. Like we shouldn't start stigmatizing gaming and then like it's, probably it's a minority it's we don't know how big the minority is it could be five percent but it could also be 15 or 20 percent who gets addicted so but that those are still really big numbers uh that's mm. like either one in 20 or one in in, in five yeah particularly uh, as and, gaming sort of grows as an industry and more people kind of yeah and that's that's, 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 that's the other side that it's 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 one of the most innovative innovative or uh, like fastly innovating industries in the world so um like look at it like uh for example cigarettes they've ever since cigarettes were made they've just maybe the nicotine has gone up a little bit but the system is the same you smoke nicotine you get addicted but with video games it's like a whole constellation of stimulating sort of gaming elements that are aimed at your brain on the other side of the screen and these elements are being upgraded upgraded and being added so the addictive potential of video games is going getting higher and higher and higher in which i sometimes uh likened to like the breeding of hushes or weed like they make it stronger and stronger every year yeah, i'm from amsterdam that's like really <laughs> a thing here that it's become way too strong and so all the tourists they they just flip out whenever uh, they enter a coffee shop here in, in amsterdam which is a different coffee shop from anywhere else yeah. around the world but that's also what happens with video games like they're kind of yeah, it's not really breeding but like they're developing better and better video games so yeah if, if it's now five percent it could well be 10% in five years. And, and of course, there is the scenario in which they make games so good and so just so exactly what your brain wants and exactly pressing all the buttons that virtually everyone is is uh, prone to become addicted to video games. I mean, it's it's a complete dystopic kind of thing or like... Uh, it's called but, Player One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice one. I've seen that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to comment or ask or prompt something. I don't know, poke around, <laughs> I guess. Um, on like the language that's used when we do talk about video game addiction. Um, and like you said, like having that that stigma. Um towards gaming because obviously we have this like stereo like the stereotypical gamer that is we're starting to get rid of that and like so people that still somehow don't know much about gaming really don't understand how that's a thing now but it still is <laughs> but like how they suddenly like they just see gaming and and this like addiction um and when it is sort of spoke about without having proper education and proper questioning why and how um and like what sort of language and education we can we can add and what language we should be using to sort of like talk about it without like brandishing gaming as bad without yeah 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 you know super important yeah because it's not like games are and that's that's maybe the problem i mean all gaming starts out as a ton of fun and most gaming remains a ton of fun and that's just Awesome. I mean, it's, it's great that we can invent stuff that is just really entertaining in, in our past time and, and actually can be quite a creative and, and cooperative thing. Uh, so for most people, it starts out as fun and, and it stays, uh, fun. And that's, I think 
yeah, where we do have to develop this new language around the inside, as you may, as you rightly mentioned about that there's also addictive uh, potential. And I think that language would, you want, want to center that maybe around um, connectedness, like uh, maybe also fulfillment, like because in, a, in any human life, there's so many domains. You're, you're playing chess on so many boards. You you have a relationship with your parents. You have a relationship with your friends. You have a relationship with your, your dreams and your ambitions and aspirations and with your body. And then I think you want to harmonize that like you want to feel like you're really getting the best out of those different life domains, or at least good enough for you. And maybe that's where we can sort of start navigating the landscape between just playing for fun and addiction is like, how does your gaming behavior affect all your other life domains? If all other life domains, you, you have a, yeah, you just have a healthy relationship with friends. You have a relation, you have a romantic relationship. You have, you're doing well in, in whatever school or, or work or then there's not really a problem. If, if, if you can do that, then you can also play five hours of, of I don't know, World of Warcraft uh, every day. Uh, but you manage to do all those other things too. Um, yeah, well, great. I mean, then you, you, uh, yeah, maybe you genetically were not very predisposed to gaming addiction. Maybe doesn't really matter, but I think it's important. I think to, yeah, not see games as essentially evil, but mostly, um, they, we engage with them within the context of our lives. So we have to look at the context of, of our lives. And, and I, I usually ask kids who play a lot like, okay, so if you, stop playing how do you feel the moment you stop and how or, or how do you feel the moment you start because when i was an, an addict myself when i would start playing video games uh, every time i came back from school i i would always feel sort of an oh no 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 as if it was like sort of a cat clawing with his claws to not go to the little computer room and i would feel sort of agitated and it wouldn't it wouldn't it would feel always a bit dirty and also when i stopped playing to play, uh, after to like play. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I when I was addicted, not when I was not addicted. When I was sort of fun in primary school, it just felt great. Like, hey, let's have a let's have a ball. Let's let's play some games. But then when I was addicted, I, I deep down I did notice. Like a part of me noticed that I was losing agency and I was losing uh, sort of some freedom. And agency and freedom, autonomy are really core needs of any human being as well. And you will feel when those needs are under threat. So I think many video game addicts, if they would like just pause for a moment and take a little snapshot of their mental landscape before they engage in video gaming, they would be able to feel like, ah, this, it doesn't feel quite right. This doesn't feel, um, but then the problem was for me, I felt it, but I never, I never, I, I didn't know what to do with it because I, there weren't, for me, there weren't, I didn't see any other options to really scratch the itch that I wanted to scratch with playing video games. Like I, um, I, I wanted to be way more connected with friends and I wanted to be way better at all kinds of sports. But those things require very complex actions. You have to train a lot. You have to say the right things to your friends. You have to like, get intimate with them. And it's just so much easier to press a button and, and transform yourself into this super avatar. So, uh, so even though I felt like I shouldn't have been playing that much. I couldn't really, I didn't know what to do with those feelings, but, um, but it can be helpful to be aware of those kind of feelings. And, and then also the feelings when you stop, because when I stopped playing video games, I would always be super with myself. Like, cause I would have every day I would wake up, not thinking let's game the whole day. No, I would wake up. Okay. This time I'm going to learn to, uh, do some trick on a skateboard. Like all my friends can do. I will learn this song on my guitar. I will, uh, I don't know. I'm, 
do my homework or like get interested in some some something like find some passion or something and then i would find myself like after a five-hour gaming binge with my parents calling like hey dinner's ready and i would be really with myself like yeah and then the fun thing is that i would then after dinner i would try to sort of uh, subdue or yeah that self-frustration with playing more video games because those were the things that gave me a high and so i felt and that's that's the trap with with gaming is that uh, the more low you feel because your gaming in, kind of makes you realize less of your potential and that, that hurts. But then the video games come to the rescue with kind of taking the pain away and giving you that sort of sense of, yeah, I mean, it's superhuman, right? You're in that game. You're doing like, you're acting so fast. You're, you're like, you're being super accurate. You're, you're making decisions with like millimeter, uh, like millisecond, uh, rapidity. And like you get into this flow and like, and yeah. And in that flow, all the pain about like what you dreams that you haven't really fulfilled friends you haven't spoken to in a way that you wanted, uh, romantic interest you haven't pursued, pursued it, uh, in the stream of video games, all those things kind of wash away. And then at least in the game, you feel great. Yeah. And yeah, the language we have. Yeah. I think that's what we're doing right now, building the language around that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And in terms of like different types of addiction, what's the what's the difference when it comes to being addicted to video games versus like you mentioned, sort of quote unquote traditional um, mm. types of? Is there a difference between video games and say uh, addiction to cigarettes? Yeah, so there's there's really big differences. You also, see, I mean, we can't really go into it, but you see it in the brain also. I mean, there's overlap between different types of addiction in what you can see in brain scanners and brain imaging research. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, but there's also differences. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit too in-depth to maybe name uh, all those differences. Also, I wouldn't know them all by heart because the brain is huge. Um, but the one thing that is really interesting, of course, is that video game addiction is something that happens to... It, it, the onset is probably far younger. Uh, because you can play video games uh, when you're th like two or three, like you have games for, for babies, basically. Mm. So that's one thing. Then the other thing is you can be a gaming addict for free. Like cigarettes, you have to, you have to actually spend quite a lot of money if you're, oh, wow. if you're addicted to cigarettes. And gaming, you can, you can game for free. I played all my games almost for free, and especially right. these I never days. even considered that. <laughs> no, the, I mean, the whole modem, model of gaming, it was premium. You had to buy a game. Okay, well, you paid 25 euros for Warcraft or whatever. That's not that much, but still you had to pay something. Now, uh, everything is freemium. League of Legends, Apex Legends, Fortnite, uh, all the, the new things, uh, it's all freemium, so you don't have to. You, you can be an addict for free. That's the, that's for the first time in history, maybe. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, maybe I say you, for you'd have to get the say the phone to play it, but you know, today in a lot of many yeah, societies, yeah, yeah. The, I don't know about that because yeah, uh, no, most most parents you just have will, to go to school. Yeah, yeah, you just have to go to school. <laughs> we played a lot a of games library. in IT. Actually, yeah. I said I just um, I actually just did a, a workshop earlier today, so I was I was in the school for the first time, and yeah, it's just you see how like kids like i don't know 12 and they've all got phones and it, yeah. i always see that i'm like wow that's that was just not even in my yeah. mind when I, I was 12 so yeah the barrier is like way lower and then once you've got it like you say it, it is then free yeah. to access that side of of the phones or with games and yeah yeah and then then there's the familiarity because we're only now becoming familiar with video games as having addictive potential and so parents and then like uh, and teachers have way less defenses against video games and we have a lot of defenses around like smoking drinking porn uh like we really try to shield kids from those things so i think 
most parents also might not prevent their kids from watching porn enough might be but but there's that, that's a nice interesting actually overlap between the two because of course the porn is sort of the same you could you could also do it for free you can also access it whenever uh, but if you get caught doing that for example or it, the repercussions are just way higher and your parents will be freaked out whereas it's totally fine if you're playing like Fortnite in your i mean that's very different like no one people don't really see it as problematic and the fun thing is it also isn't very problematic i think it's almost all yeah so almost always problematic if a, if a 12 year old watches hardcore stuff online that's probably not good uh but it's really not so problematic if if he's headshotting his way through uh, call of duty like you know and and which i i kind of agree with because yeah it, it that's the difference but then i think the biggest the biggest difference is that the amount of time it consumes because if you're addicted to cigarettes say and you smoke 20 cigarettes a day and it takes you three minutes to smoke a cigarette then it will take you about an hour smoking cigarettes and uh or yeah maybe add another half hour in preparing and, and going walking to the place where you smoke your cigarette but it's like an hour and a half two hours you're you're not a video game addict with spending an hour and a half or two hours in video games. Like you have to, usually most people have to spend like at least more than three hours every day and oftentimes more than five, six, seven, eight, or even 10 hours. And you have these gamers who go on gaming benches that last more than 30 hours. Um, so the amount of time that it requires is just huge. And of course, then there's the leveling because, and, and all the structures, because let, let's take another comparison. If you if you compare it with with alcohol or anything that you take, you take it once. You take the substance and you get into an, an, an sort of a altered state of consciousness, or you you get this high, you get drunk, or you get stoned, or and but then you've you've taken it and you don't have to do anything anymore. You can now be in reality. Uh, you're drunk in reality, but at least you're in reality. In video games, it's totally different. You have to keep taking, like you're, you can't stop playing the video game because you will break the hypnosis because you're not taking anything. So in video games, what's different is that your addiction is taking place totally within the video game. So you're not interacting with reality anymore. So you can be uh, an alcoholic, but still engage a lot socially and engage uh, and even work like, or I, I mean, here in, in Amsterdam, I, I yeah, have some corporate friends. Like, I mean, yeah, sometimes they'll be high on something at work because I don't know what they had to get some deadlines done and <laughs> they're still functioning in reality. And in video games, you're just always out of, you're never in reality. And that, and that's actually very significant because there's a huge difference between games and reality in that in games there's it's super stimulating because it has many very enticing elements but there's also a huge amount of things that are missing like facial expressions touch smell obviously all those things but also uh real threat like real danger but a real novelty like things being able to happen that really yeah i mean it's very it's a very predetermined set of things that can happen in a video game. Like in reality, it's like anything might happen. You know, uh, you, you might be very drunk, but fall, find the girl you fall in love with in the bar all of a sudden and your whole life changes. Uh, you're well, of course you have world of Warcraft marriages, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's another layer of addiction. Uh, right? That's, <laughs> and so the point is more that um, the video game addict is it, the video game addiction is a far more intense uh, experience as in, your mind is totally in that game. And 
Uh, and that game shapes the mind also according to the rules of the game, which is it's competitive. It's always measurable. It's super high paced. Uh, it's getting feedback from everything you do all the time. It's often sexualized. It's, uh, it's short, short span, like games last five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, 50 minutes, a long game. Uh, so that does something to the way your brain works. And, and that's also what you see that, that if you play long enough, your mind will shape itself towards the rules of the games that you're playing. And yeah, and those are different. I mean, not to say that with any other uh, drug, you don't get into some sort of mindset and mind state because if you're drunk, that that's a very specific set of rules as well. Like all of a sudden you're wobbly and your your speech is impaired, but you think it's great. And so that's also has a, but it's a different set of, of, um, yeah. It's, and it it's takes a, place in, in reality, in reality, it sounds like that's kind yeah, of. Yeah. And it takes place mm-hmm. in reality. Which, yeah. yeah. So there's still that connection to reality. Also smoking. I mean, you can be a hardcore smoker, but you're fully in reality. In reality yeah. yeah. I guess like those things like in video games, cause it's happening in real time. Like you said, you're not taking something and then feeling the effects it's happening in real time. Is that any consequences that happen as soon as you step away from the game, those consequences don't matter. But with other types of addictions, the consequences happen in the real world. So as soon as you're no longer on that high and yeah. feeling that, that kick, uh, those consequences now happen to you, yeah. uh, and not your avatar yeah it's a super good point that's also why we underestimate video games because we all know like i mean uh, in the uk the the lancet had this amazing paper about the harms of the various types of drugs and alcohol and nicotine were really, really high up on the chart because they have huge consequences in in health care costs for 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 the ones who use but also the ones around them because you have more violence with drinking. You have more uh, all kinds of disease with smoking, also from people around it. So there's a lot of harm involved. No one gets harmed by some teenager playing video games for 10 hours a day. I mean, he's yeah. completely harmless. And so if he would go, I mean, of course, in America, there's this association between maybe the high school shooting and, and aggression and video games. So different situation, but at least here in Europe, uh, most video game players, I mean, we don't notice them they're they're basically gone out of the uh, out of the fabric of reality and so so there's nothing to notice like there's no there's no harms being inflicted there's no drunk driving there's no yeah like you said there's no repercussions for reality except for the fact that they are not uh fulfilling their human potentials in their different life domains which yeah. is which is a shame but we don't know the counterfactual yeah, but that's not like an immediate oh. thing i guess that, to your point that's not yeah. an immediate thing that you'll see we like, don't you'll notice. know someone crashes the car if they've had too much mm. to drink and you'll see if enough people do that you will then see you have yeah, a problem but if yeah someone's kind of retreating from reality you won't notice that immediately yeah so it's really sort of an invisible problem which is of course funny because that's really what a video game addict does he retreats or escapes into a virtual world where we don't see them so which is i think a big reason of underestimating video game addiction yeah I, I wanted to ask about something you said earlier as well or like I don't know, start a conversation around it. Um, and it was, you were talking about like, you know, if a kid's playing Fortnite and we don't see it as like, there's no, it's like you don't give repercussions for it. Whereas if a kid's like start smoking or something, uh, like they're going to get punished by their parents. Right. And then I think video games are kind of used in like, just, I think this is just a bad way to parent in general, but like they take it away and then create a bigger reward system by them being like, you can have it back 
when you do whatever your chores are blah 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 and then that's kind is that kind of like reintroducing like another layer of addiction to it by creating the game as itself as a reward nah well yeah that's a super complex point that you're raising i I don't think this immediately would pose a big problem but but there's there's like uh, hundreds of ifs uh, surrounding this question that you asked because i mean if the parents are doing this all the time like continually yeah then there would be sort of a problem also because apparently there is no unconditional love here and it's just really predicated on them doing what the parents want which is very unhealthy mm-hmm. and something so unhealthy will create frustration within the child thus setting him up for video game addiction because a large part of getting addicted to video games but also all the other drugs is self-medicating you know like taking pain away so parents who conditionally try to sort of condition their child or with video games yeah i mean that that sounds a bit unhealthy and that sounds like such a child would have a reason to self-medicate uh so in that sense you call that negative reinforcement so in, in that sense yes uh but it could also be that the parents just do it uh out of connection with the child they just see hey actually our son daughter has a real aptitude for i don't know playing the piano and um but he just can't get himself to play enough because he's really into those video games let's just reverse like let's just intervene a little bit in his daily schedule he comes home he's not gonna he's not allowed to play video games until after dinner and only if he's played an hour or so of piano. We know he likes piano, but we just want him to, uh, you know, like it's a very different situation. I think yeah. it's really about how much you are in touch as a parent with your child. So it's it's not necessarily bad, but I think it's really about how much as a parent you really see the child and you work with the child to, uh, yeah, reach something. So um, it doesn't, yeah, but... Uh, um, and then... Uh, one of the things you kind of you touched on uh, earlier is the idea of the the avatar you create in whatever game world you're in. So yeah. I know you mentioned um, the idea of sort of our our self image within the game. Is that is that part of your research as well? And how how does uh, yeah, it's not part of my research? At least not my my. I can, it's part of my the book I'm writing uh, for sure because there was a, in Germany a very interesting study uh, that sort of looked at how brain activity between gamers and non-gamers during a self-referential task so they were uh, asked to describe either their avatars or themselves and whilst they were in a brain scanner and what they found in germany is that uh people who um yeah sort of were classified as video game addicts they uh had a a higher uh activation of self-referential brain areas uh then when they were describing their video game avatar than when they were describing themselves so, so neurologic what's so you said higher um higher activity in self-referential brain areas yes what is that and it's the angular gyrus it's a part of your default uh, default mode network what tazi was talking about in the beginning with uh, i think was it mindfulness but mm-hmm. yeah. uh that's it's also part of that sort of circuit and it's it's a brain region that's really involved with you keeping up the narrative around yourself, sort of to have a constant kind of self-image, self-referential, discursive thought that we kind of sometimes also really associate with as I. But what you saw in video game addicts is that the brain region, that a brain region that's highly involved with that because it's always a cluster of regions working together, but that one of the core regions uh, was more active when they were describing their avatar than when they were describing their real self. 
which oh. is pretty crazy because so then so I mean, you can't, they're putting more stock into the avatar they created. Rob. Their brain, apparently, on some, on some, in some factor, in some dimension, is yeah, uh, and yeah, and um, you didn't see this at all in uh, in non-gamers, of course, like mm. in people who were not uh, who did game but were not addicted. Interesting. That's yeah, some serious Ready Player like One level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel so disassociated from all of my avatars because they don't have curly hair. So maybe thank you, games industry, for not doing that. I really noticed this once myself. I was playing Counter Strike, uh, like this old game that uh, well, I, I, oh, I think yeah, I, I remember Counter Strike. Well, yeah. still Counter Strike Go, CS:GO. So yeah, yeah, it was one point six, I think. And I remember I was like sixteen, and I I remember that I was sitting in my like the the little computer uh, room, and it, there was sun outside, but I was sitting inside playing the game, and I was raw, walking on this sort of oil rig with this AK forty seven, being either a counter terrorist or a terrorist. I don't know, but I do remember that I felt. I almost AK-47 felt this, is a terrorist weapon. It's always if if there's an AK might have grabbed game, it from someone you killed. It's the terrorist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I would always grab someone if I if I were a counter terrorist too. I would just throw away my uh, M16. And, but anyways, um, I I felt the warmth. Like I felt the warmth, but I also realized it was the warmth I thought I felt from the game. So I I kind of was really walking there. I was really I had this really weird sort of reality distortion where I really thought like wow. I am kind of there. I, I mean, I obviously I knew I wasn't, but I felt my body kind of taking up reality as if I was the avatar walking there, which felt super strange because it was like, wow, this is pretty. This, yeah, I mean, it was after I was addicted for like five years. I had to go quite far to really, and it. But I, I really recall that moment that I was like, oh, this is really strange. I feel like I really feel like I'm there in that game right now, and there's sun on me, and, and whereas. Yeah, the sun was like two meters uh, behind the yeah, behind the window. But so that was a. I'm not sure if, if any of you have ever experienced that. You kind of feel like uh, you're basically. Like I have a. Game. Yeah, I there's a, a lighter version too. Maybe the lighter version because that's. I think they call it. Um, I think most gamers actually have that. You don't even have to be a video game addict. But many gamers report. Uh, this is a UK study, by the way. Uh, they report that after games, they can sometimes still hear like auditory cues from the game or they can see sort of flashes they they call it like i think i don't know maybe there were like mini psychotic induct game inductions or something it's not exactly mm. that but i have to say i have experienced that but i'm yeah. also gonna add something here to say that like i'll experience that from a book or uh, a tv like i have a very vivid imagination like yeah. i can i even if someone describes something that happened to them i can like put myself in the situation even when i dream like uh ever since i was a kid as long as i can remember you know how they say you can't feel pain in your sleep or you can't die in your sleep uh no i do i fully die in my sleep and feel like i'm going through a torturous painful death and i'm still in i don't wake up from it i just die <laughs> and then come out of my body and see me dead so <laughs> i oh, guess to, i'm already predestined like you need to like, study this <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just video games it's just everything i can read a book and feel like i'm there and like have memories like yeah. that i feel feel like i'm my own. oh no i read that in yeah. that intense book i was yeah. reading 
So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's also a normal property of the brain in that sense. It sounds pretty, <laughs> sounds pretty intense what you're going through at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I actually don't feel like I have a normal sleep if I don't feel uh, if you realistic dreams. In, in your dreams. Yeah, I actually have better sleeps if I have a nightmare than, well, I feel like when I wake up, I feel like better than when I haven't. If I don't dream, I wake up and I'm groggy. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> I feel there's a lot, there's a lot in there to unpack um, i'm not the, the person to do it but as i know i can i can see some signs there um, so we've got about 10 minutes so i just wanted to uh i don't know if Tazzy, if you have like a, any last burning question but i wanted to add something for uh for michael no i i'm, I'm good okay <laughs> um so it was kind of two things one i'm kind of interested in from the panel when you talked about the efforts from the video game industry in response to some of these um yeah. and because it, it kind of triggered me when you said the word lobbying and i always mm -hmm. associate lobbying with like something like political and very um yeah, yeah. In, in in all sort of political arenas but almost it becomes like a character caricature when you talk about like, u.s uh, lobbying and stuff and i never thought about it like from the games industry's perspective so um yeah can you tell us a, a bit about that and i've got one last thing we can end on yeah absolutely uh so i think the first right off the bat is that the gaming industry is is huge it's uh i think this year about like 160 billion dollars uh, and it's growing exponentially uh also during corona gaming stock was the best stock you yeah. can buy it's growing even faster than medical equipment and it's a huge industry with of course then also huge interests uh because uh different governments around the world are trying to sort of curb in uh certain video game elements like uh loot boxes and and then there's china who just really has even more rigorous kind of uh law surrounding video games so of course the video game industry is really trying to push back against these things uh, and also against like the whole ruling of the world health organization or the decision to make it an official disorder because they have a, a massive interest at stake. Because if we all start believing video games are addictive, then of course we would spend a whole lot, lot less time yeah. and, and money on video games, and that's not what they want. So, so yeah, they're really pushing back. And in 2013 already, there was a, um, a news uh, item that said, like, yeah, the gaming industry is outspending the NRA, the National Rifle Association, yeah. lobbying, uh, which is just That's amazing that, that shocked me yeah it was it was only because there were there were three sort of uh types of lobbying they and the gaming industry was only outspending them in one of those types mm. but still it was like it's like the nra we i mean we all understand the lobby of the nra it's, yeah. it's pretty huge and uh so if the gaming industry sort of outspends them seven years ago already on one of those uh lobbying sort of uh, forms that's quite a big thing i'd say like it sort of parallels with the tobacco industry, of course, because it, it took decades when we already knew that tobacco and, and smoking had a lot of negative health implications. It, it still took decades for this to become like an accepted uh, notion. And I think, I, I, I mean, I hope we won't repeat the same thing. And the problem is also that video games, I think if you play two hours a day, it's probably healthy. It's probably good for you. It's probably fine, or at least it's fine. It's like there's really a curve where in the beginning it becomes something that adds to your life, and then it becomes something detrimental. Whereas with smoking, I mean, any cigarette, any 
I mean, there's 70 compounds in there that are carcinogenic and, and it's always like, it's always not good for you. So it's more difficult with video games, but I think the industry is also really using that to kind of make us, yeah, to kind of stall the moment where we collectively kind of accept like, okay, there's really a problem with playing too many video games. You can do this excessively and the industry is out there to make you play excessively. Uh, which is also a big point because there's many studies that show that uh, the most money gaming companies earn comes from so-called whales and whales are players that play like a huge amount of time and and and, and That's spend like casino rules <laughs> yeah and yeah so so they want they have a vested interest in not making you play one hour or two hours because you won't be involved enough in the game which is usually a freemium game you need to be more involved because then that's the moment where you'll start spending so uh, it's an it's that's not an open kind of accepted thing at all yet but i mean if you look at the data that's of course video game companies are interested in making you as engaged and as attached to the game as possible which i don't think they they kind of think how do we make people addictive but if you think like how do we make them maximally engaged and attached it's the same it's the same thing yeah but they won't they won't ever call it that way and uh that's definitely part of a of a pretty purposeful and uh conscious PR or like personal relations uh, branding strategy that they won't, of course, put it that way at all. Games are just fun. And then maybe just yeah. to read one, one answer of the, it was a response from um, the, I think it was EA Sports, but about the, um, the classification of gaming as a disorder and, and what they said like publicly. So what, what their statement was, uh, was that the World Health Organization knows that common sense and objective research prove video games are not addictive and putting that official label on them recklessly trivializes real mental health issues like depression and social anxiety disorder, which deserve treatment and the full attention of the medical community. We strongly encourage the WHO to reverse direction on its proposed action. So that was their official stance in in the beginning of 2018, uh, which is completely bonkers. Uh, it's, it's like, it kind of says that the WHO knows, uh, that common sense and objective research prove video games are not addictive. That's, they're, they're like both, uh, wrong on both accounts. Like it's uh, both common sense and objective research say that video games can be addictive. Uh, so I think it's important for people to realize that on the other end of the screen, if you're playing a video game, there's a huge company with a huge interest. Uh, aiming a really advanced tool at your brain and yeah trying to monetize that yeah uh, i mean that's kind of i like oh no i was just going to say that that's kind of why i wanted to bring that up because in in many ways and i think in, in different stages of those conversations you mentioned the perception of video games uh from whether its parents or uh whoever as something that's totally benign so i think it's important to recognize that like you say there is an industry behind it and not to say that the industry is automatically then bad and like everyone in the games industry is bad. It's not to say that, but it's to give the people that play the games like the proper context of what they're sort of buying into, so to speak, with their time, with their attention, and then just being able to make better decisions based on that. So when you see the, uh, cause you know, we're in a um, uh, next generation console. So we're seeing all the hype, all the PR from the companies to get an understanding of what's kind of really going on when you do play those, those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what you say is, is also very relevant because uh, um, this is really uh, this goes for the most like the biggest commercial gaming companies. But of course, the gaming in, like the 
the whole landscape of, of gaming publishers is, is also it's it's massive and there's many indie studios and smaller studios and creative studios and and not all of them are making like trying to make hyper addictive games some of them are really trying to make little art pieces and just really fun stuff and and also one of the most addictive games like Fortnite or League of Legends doesn't have to be all that bad so but that's the difficulty it's it's really it's like there's many nuances um but yeah uh, i wouldn't attribute this to the gaming industry as a whole but mostly to maybe the biggest top ones that they are just out there to maximize their profit uh, in in a competitive market i mean they have to yeah, compete against all these other the nature of business and yeah. it's business and and so their just market logic just also pushes them into making games that are more and more captivating uh, yeah. unfortunately they become so captivating that they become addictive and i mean i don't think it's their goal to to get everyone uh, ad addicted all the all, all the youths but if it's their goal to make maximum profit that's basically the same direction it's just a different kind of a yeah, uh, I yeah. wanted to comment on. I, I like some of the language that you use about, um, like the addiction potential, um, rather than it being like video games are addictive. It's video games have uh, addictive potential, which yeah. is definitely different from something being addictive. Yes. Something yeah. being addictive means you you have it once yeah. and <laughs> you are. <laughs> there is and that is it you're done you're in it um yeah. and also was just wanting to um make a comment on something i've completely forgot but i'm going to make a completely different comment now um <laughs> which is like i have friends that are smokers in fact like a lot of my friends are smokers because we were like comparing it to nicotine and they know <laughs> the risks involved <laughs> with nicotine and we all have they all started when we very much knew that like the effects of sit smoking uh, on the body and uh, still smoking started smoking knowing that um so it's crazy like thinking that that like the the threat is still so there that it's a risk of how we talk about gaming but it's like i mean you could probably tell everyone that it's gonna kill you in five years guaranteed and people are still gonna play games like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the thing again. With um, that's very interesting in addiction research, and we haven't talked about that. But your brain, when you start doing something often uh, and more and more and often, your brain will start processing that behavior in a different pathway. It will it will shift in your in your striatum. Um, it's a part of the uh, reward system, but the pathways that translate that behavior they will go in a more subcortical uh, way. Uh, so it will be sort of slowly. As you keep on uh, indulging in this behavior, slowly those pathways will sort of sink to a different level where they're subconscious. You don't, they sort of, they override, they go so fast. It's like, clip, they, they don't have to go, you don't have to consciously light up a cigarette anymore. The same goes also for tying your, your shoelaces. At some point, you really don't think about it anymore. It, it takes some time. I mean, we all forgot that we really struggled for a month, a good month or even more tying our shoelaces. At some point, it becomes totally automatic. But, also, video games and smoking cigarettes, you do it so often, it, it becomes totally automatic behavior. And it, there's no, you have to consciously then stop the behavior and look at it, uh, but it won't happen automatically. So your default mode will just be to flip, do it and, and not think about it. So then you, yeah, you have to either hit rock bottom or something before you start to reflect or you need some intervention from outside or you just have to think like, oh, shit, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm yeah, not fulfilling my potential in here and here. How so? Oh, I'm playing so many video games. Oh, I'm smoking so many cigarettes. Oh, I if I want to perform better at something I care about, I should maybe yeah, uh stop doing this or that. But um yeah. Do we want to do we want to finish on a on a positive note about video yeah, games? Yeah, I was just going to say before. Like we, I feel like I'm always off. bashing no. video games, but I, <laughs> okay. I actually I kind of like video games too. It's like <laughs> All right, so we're going to we're going to wrap up. So um as we do that, so Michael, if you want to give us uh, as I mentioned going into a new generation, give us something like the positive aspects of of video gaming uh, and what you'd like to see improve going into the next generation of uh, of games. Yeah, so I think there's like, I definitely haven't seen all of them, but there's such a huge variety of video games. And, and I um, definitely friends of mine are really into those. Uh, there's really artsy ones, very realistic ones. There's games that really try to actually make you uh, switch roles and have empathy with other characters. Or So there's there's far richer gaming experiences than just trying to find the best gun and having as many headshots as you can or, or building the best army and, and destroying everyone. Uh, which is also fine. I mean, if, if that's your gig, uh, do it for a while and uh, enjoy. But I, I would just say like the amount of potential video games have for actually creating real significant interactions and in really inspiring creativity, it's all there. Like that's also possible with video games. So I would, I would just hope that as we become aware of that, some video games are just have a high addictive potential and they usually are quite flat. It's just about killing as fast as you can, destroying command and conquer and just blah, 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 blah. Uh, that there's also different choices so that people would maybe start exploring different types of games that are maybe more narrative based or more that just provide a more rich, more human and more actually more challenging experience in many ways that might might all of a sudden a game that might require patience oh my god that i mean that be that would be a crazy thing for anyone playing uh yeah. playing any of the the sort of the the top 10 or top 20 games yeah that that would be that would be absolutely awesome because i do think that video games have a massive power like that's what they clearly show like nothing else in the world is capable of captivating the attention of a pubescent boy uh, for <laughs> hours on a stretch you know nothing can do that that's that's power that's like wow so i mean you can use it for good or for bad and so i think we should just acknowledge that video games are here and that they'll only grow uh, exponentially and that we should definitely uh see how we can make it something that really adds to our lives instead of flattening our lives and that's possible so yeah yeah i like that i'm, I'm definitely on board for more like narrative uh games and different experiences so yeah I'm, I'm with you on that so uh yeah you're doing that yourself huh there you go yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I also have a vested interest uh, in that i don't have a lobbying group <laughs> yet though but uh <laughs> lobbying for you in here. time in time um so <laughs> so yeah no thank you for joining us michael yeah again it's been like good to hear about your experiences and kind of uh the research that you do and just to give that like i say that wider picture of what happens when we're playing the games that we play so yeah thank you for joining us um, my pleasure yeah, just for everyone's watching, uh, again, like I said at the beginning, uh, we're we're looking to have more of these types of discussions around uh, mental health, storytelling, other aspects of video games. Um, our aim, um, our aim is to sort of promote diversity, inclusion, and demystify parts of the industry uh, and this culture. So, yeah, thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you at a future event. Uh, you can also uh, give us a shout directly if you want to send us an email, feedback at myamada.com. And yeah, our links are in, in the chat. They'll be in the YouTube description if you're watching this later. Uh, thank you for joining us. Take care.
Stay tuned and stay safe, everyone. Bye. Thank you.